Let me make one clarification. Singing is not rapping. <laughs> Krista. Um, I have to be honest, being on this side of the worship service as opposed to the front side is so different for me. Um, Johnny asked me to speak on Mother's Day, and I'm super excited about it. I do have to apologize because normally when I'm worshiping, I'm up front, and I just realized this morning how little space you have. And so I kept finding myself scooching out into the aisles. So just make, your, make room for yourselves um, in our worship. I just realized that this morning. Um, Johnny said, you can speak on anything you want. And I was like, well, I can't really speak to mothers because while I am a mother, I definitely don't have it figured out. Um, so hopefully um, the message this morning will be an encouragement um, to everyone, um, a challenge to all of us as we um, walk in our faith. Uh, I remember several years ago, McKenna was about five, four or five, and Emily was just a year younger than her. And my dad was pastoring a church in Elkhart, and we had decided that we were going to take the day and just spend the day with Mammal. And so we drove up to Elkhart. We did um, grandma things. I think they were living by a river at the time. We played outside. We walked by the river. Um, we had lunch together. We probably did some coloring pages when the girls were napping in the afternoon. I think mom and I probably caught up. And I'll never forget on the way home, it was about 30 minutes of silence on our way back, and McKenna from the back seat says, Mom, and I said, yes, and she said, why does Mama love Jesus so much? And I'll never forget that question, because I looked back over our day, and I, we didn't do anything spiritual. We didn't go to church. We didn't have family devotions. We may have prayed for lunch. But in spending that day with my mom, a five-year-old comes up with the question, why does Mama love Jesus so much? That's her story. That's my mom's story, and she tells it over and over. If you sit with her for more than five minutes, her story is, I love Jesus so much. And I knew in that minute that, that I wanted that to be my story. And we've all been given a story. And so this morning, I want to look at a few stories um, in the Bible that help challenge me um, in my storytelling uh, that helped convict me. One of them is super convicting. Um, that will be the second one. But let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22. We'll begin our first story with Abraham's story. Um, Abraham was promised by God that he would have a son, and through this son would come a nation of people. He took Abraham out to the stars and he said, see all of the stars in the sky? You will have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And through this nation that I'm going to create through you, all of the nations will be blessed. And so Abraham is waiting. And he's waiting for a child. At one point, he tries to take things into his own hands. That doesn't usually work out so well. It's best to wait on the Lord. But eventually, Isaac is born. And God shows Isaac, this is the son that I promised you. This is the son through which all of the nations will be blessed. And so many years pass, and then Abraham finds himself in a situation where he says, uh, God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, Isaac, and I want you to take him. See that mountain over there? I want you to take him to the top of that mountain, and I want you to sacrifice your son to me. The Bible doesn't show us any hesitancy. It seems that Abraham, in obedience, gathered up his things, the things that he would need for the sacrifice, and he begins on this journey to sacrifice his son, his only son. 
the son that he loved, Isaac, on Mount Moriah. It says, the Bible says that he took a colt, they took uh, the wood, they took everything they needed, two servants, and it took them three days to get to the base of the mountain. And when they got to the base of the mountain, Abraham turns to his two servants. He says, I want you to wait here. My son and I are going and we will come back. They left the colt with the two servants and it says he loaded Isaac up with the wood and Abraham was carrying the fire and the knife. Now it's important to note in this story that Isaac was not a toddler. This wasn't something that you could kind of try to snow one over on them, you know, like they're... Isaac had been through this, this process before because they, they're on their way up the mountain and Isaac turns to his dad and he says, Dad, I have the wood. He's most likely a young adult at this time. He says, I'm carrying the wood. You have the fire. You have the knife. Where is the lamb? And in verse 8, Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they continue on and... I often use my imagination when I'm reading these stories. Isaac, as a young adult, begins to be bound by his father. His dad begins tying him up. And I can imagine Isaac just wrestling against what is going on. Dad, what are you doing? You said that God would provide. He will provide. He will provide because God is true to his promises and he continues to tie Isaac up and he lays Isaac on the altar and the Bible says that when he raises the knife to slaughter his son, God says, stop, Abraham, stop. And in the thicket, there is a ram that they used in replace of Isaac. So the story of God's provision became Abraham's story. They're rejoicing together. They use the ram and they provide an offering, a burnt offering before the Lord. And they're celebrating. It says that they built a monument um, in that place. Everybody that walked by, what is this pile of stones? Oh, you haven't heard the story? You've got to hear the story, how God provided and saved Isaac. I can imagine them coming down the mountain. Um, they get to the base of the mountain and they begin telling the servants on the three-day journey, you are not going to believe what happened. Isaac is like, I was, I was almost dead and God provided a ram. And they're sharing the story of God's provision over and over. And they, they get almost home and Isaac's like, I can't wait to tell mom. And Abraham's like, well, maybe we should hold off a little bit on that. No, no, they told Sarah and they told generation after generation after generation of God's provision and how he provided. And I want that to be my story. And one of the things that I've realized in our culture is that we, we live in a society that really um, overprotects our children. Um, we, we protect them from as much as we can, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely um, age-appropriate things that we should protect our children from. But the challenge that I'm finding is that sometimes if our kids don't know how bad it is, they can't know how big God is. You know, I, I think of all the times that we protect our kids. We protect from, you know, Uncle Charlie that might drink too much at the family reunion or this Christmas um, Aunt Sarah's bringing her friend and we protect our kids because dad is probably going to lose his job by the end of the month and we don't want them to worry and we don't want them to fret. 
and we've got bills that are piling up, but we don't want our children to know because if they don't know how bad it is, they can't know how big God is. His redemption, when he takes a hold of a life that is horrible and brings it back for good, that is how big our God is. And we need to remind our children, that was really my dad's story of provision over and over. My dad became a Christian when I was about three years old. He was saved out of a life of selfishness and alcohol, and he was radically transformed by the gospel. Within a year, my dad really felt the call in his life. He knew that God was calling him to become a pastor, and he sold everything he had. He left a fairly lucrative management position, sold everything he had, moved his family halfway across the country to go to seminary. Most people thought he was crazy. Some people even said, I don't know that I can support this. You're, you're called to take care of your family. And he said, God will take care of my family. And there were times in those years when my dad was driving a bus part-time, trying to provide for his family where we had nothing. And I just talked to my mom and dad yesterday because I knew I wanted to tell this story and I knew I wanted to get it right. But I was walking to school. It was in New York and the winters were really hard. And I had a pair of tennis shoes that were too small and had holes in them. And my mom is mortified. And she's like, I'm a horrible mom. I can't even afford a pair of shoes for my daughter. And I know the other moms are probably like, and my dad had a God shelf. All of the bills went on the God shelf. And he was like, well, did you put it on the God shelf? So she writes it down. She puts it on the God shelf. Holly needs new tennis shoes. The next day, a check came in the mail. They were arguing about the amount. And my mom was like, no, I know how much it was. It was $20. My dad said, I thought it was $25. Mom said, no, it was $20, and the shoes were $17. God provided. Over and over and over, my dad has told the story of provision. They just retired. He, sit, he met with uh, his, uh, whatever the retirement guy is that's kind of setting you up for retirement. He said, Pastor Rick, I don't know. This doesn't make a lot of sense. And he said, that's because you don't have a line for God, God's provision in your little system you've got there. He's still telling the story of God's provision. That's one of the stories that I want to tell. The second story I want to look at, if you turn in your Bibles just a few more pages over to Exodus chapter 2. This is the one that's convicting for me. This is the story of Hochebed. Many of you are probably like, I'm not really familiar with that name. That's Moses' mother. Um, her name was Hochebed, and she found herself in a very difficult situation. The Hebrew people had been enslaved for almost 400 years. They had been in slavery. They had been oppressed. And one thing that Pharaoh saw happening was that the men were becoming more populated and they were becoming much stronger. And Pharaoh was like, if we don't get this under control, it could be that this flips on us. So we have got to control the Hebrew people. So every child, every male born to a Hebrew family is to be killed. And we know a little bit more of the story in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. And the story goes on in Exodus chapter 2 to explain that Moses' mother, Hochebed, she makes this basket, um, real HGTV 
here, and she, she puts Moses in the basket. She nestles it in the reed of the Nile River, and I'm sure that she prayed. And it wasn't very long, and Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt, is bathing in the Nile. And she sees this unusual thing in the reeds, and she has her servant go check it out. She's like, what is this? What is this thing? And her servant brings it over and takes the lid off, and Moses is crying, and it's a baby. And she has compassion. She said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Well, Moses' older sister was kind of watching from afar, and she comes to the princess, and she says, would you like me to find a woman that can nurse this child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter says, absolutely, that's wonderful. And so Hokabed, his mother, is called back into the story to nurse this child for a wage. Now, this is where it gets convicting for me because if my child was supposed to be dead and was just adopted by the princess of Egypt, I would be like, praise God. He's alive. He is going to be raised with the finest of things. He's going to be raised with the best education. He's going to be raised with the best foods. He's not going to be in oppression like his people. In fact, maybe one day he might even become Pharaoh. But that isn't what Hokabed did. She said, I have a very limited time with this child. And I have to tell him the story of his salvation. I have to tell him the story of his God. I have to tell him the story of his people. I don't have him for very long. And this is important. He's going to be put in a world where they are going to say that the sun is God, that the moon is God, and we worship, and I need him to know who the God is who created the sun and the moon. I need him to know that God has promised something to our people. I need to tell him that he has been saved by the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that is exactly what she did. And the reason this is so convicting for me is because I look back over my parenting and so many times I get far more interested if my daughter gets the lead role in the musical than if she has a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. I get far more wrapped up in if the SAT score is going to compete with your kids' SAT score. And if the college that she gets into is going to be as prestigious when she says, oh, I'm going to such and such a college. She's going to Huntington, by the way. Great school. <laughs> Instead of, do they have a life-changing understanding of the word of God and a knowledge of that truth? And we're in an artistic family. Maybe it's something different for you, you know? Are we, are we more wrapped up in how much playing time our kids get because you know they're sitting on the bench and the kids on the floor don't play nearly as well as my kids do? It's different for all of us, but we have, even in the church, substituted a story of success for salvation. We need to tell our kids the story of salvation. And that is my conviction. May the Lord do that with what he would have with you. Okay, let me get, okay. 
All right, the final story, I was actually going to jump to um, the New Testament, but I kind of got wrapped up in this story of Moses because I'm looking at his mom and I'm like, did it, did it kind of all pan out? Because let's be honest, sometimes as parents, we, we do the best we can and we're like, How does, how's this going to play out when they're adults? And so I just kind of got up, caught up in the story of Moses. So if you continue on in chapter 2 of Exodus and then into chapter 3, you see that Moses kind of finds himself in the same situation that many adopted kids find themselves in. I have many friends who are adopted, and it doesn't matter, uh, you know, where they have been adopted from or the family that they've adopted into. It seems like one of the common stories is we're never really sure where we fit. And that, that's Moses' story. You know, he's like, I, I know that I've been raised in this Egyptian lifestyle and that, you know, but I don't know that I fit there. But then as a Hebrew, I'm not really sure how I fit there either. And you'll see if, as you read through chapter 2 that he kind of finds himself in this, like, am I Egyptian and I, in, am I Hebrew? And he's not really accepted by either. And so he ends up escaping to the wilderness. He's in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses um, kind of creates his own identity, his own who he is. He, he, he gets married, and he has kids, and he's probably very comfortable in his new life. Um, he's making a way for himself. He's become a shepherd, and he's probably just really comfortable in that. And God shows up in the burning bush, and many of this, us know this story um, Moses makes his way over to the burning bush, and he's like, what is going on? And God begins to speak to Moses, and he says, Moses, I have a story that I need you to tell. See, here's the situation. Your people, the Hebrew people, have been in oppression for 400 years, and it's bad. But I've heard their cries, and I've had compassion on them, and I need you to go tell them this story that I've heard them, and that I'm going to deliver them. I mean, what a story, right? I mean, these people have been in slavery for 400 years. They're begging for this story. It's the best story that they've heard in a very long time, and Moses does what so many of us do. He begins to make excuses. He says, mm, who am I? Who am I, really? Like, I mean, he probably didn't even know who he was. He probably was a legitimate question. Like, am I Egyptian? Am I Hebrew? I don't know. And God says, Moses, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I've given you the story. I'm going with you. And so then Moses heads into excuse number two. Well, okay, but who do I say sent me? Because the last time I had some run-ins with the Hebrew people, they... They didn't really see me as Hebrew, so who do I tell them sent me? He says, you tell them that the great I am, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, uh, Jacob. Can you see, like, all of that training that his mother gave him when God said, the, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know... God, excuse number three, I'm not really good in front of people. Oh, no, no, that was that. No, excuse number four. Excuse number three says, well, what if they don't believe me? Because he's starting to put the pieces together about who God is and who he is, and he's trying to reconcile this, but what if they don't believe me? And, and God's like, okay, what do you have in your hand? And he says, well, it's a staff. That's what I use to shepherd 
throw it on the ground. Okay, throws it on the ground. Pick it back up. He picks it up, turns it, well, when he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. God says, now pick it back up. He picks it up, it turns back into a staff. So if they question you, Moses, just do that miracle, and that will kind of give them solidification of this is who I am. And Moses says, again, excuse number four, I'm just not good in front of people. I'm not good at talking to people. I'm just not good with this. And God says, can you just like see the parents in? Okay. Your brother Aaron, he's a little bit more confident. I'm going to send Aaron with you. And then we get to the real root of Moses' issue because after four excuses and God providing what Moses need, Moses says, can you just find somebody else? And it says that God's anger burned against Moses. Just like the parent, like, because I said so. And in a few verses, to give Moses the benefit of the doubt, because he goes on to tell a great story, he does walk in obedience to what God tells him to do. But we have similar excuses in telling our story. God has given us a story of provision and salvation and deliverance, and we, like Moses, make excuses. For some of us, well, I've been a Christian for 25 years, and everyone in this congregation, this is kind of how they know me. And I don't really want them to know this part of my story. It's not about you. It's about bringing glory to the Most High God to show that God brings us from death to life. That's the whole point of telling our story. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm kind of new to this, and I, I'm new to the church, and I'm still trying to figure out my story, and I don't know the Bible very well. He's not asking for the Bible story. He's asking for your story. I once was blind, and now I see, and you don't have to have it all figured out. For some of us, we have all different excuses. Well, Holly, you're really kind of talking to parents. No, I'm not talking to parents. Because Jackson Longenbaugh is going to have a story. And he's going to be asked to tell his story. And in 10 years, someone may see a picture or a monument or a t-shirt and be like, what's this about? And Jackson will be like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you my story. There's a whole wing of kids meeting down there that need to hear your story. This isn't for moms. This isn't for dads. This is for anybody who has been changed by the life-giving work of Jesus Christ. The, the Bible is full of stories. Job tells a story of re restoration. And Naaman tells a story of healing. And David's story of forgiveness. Mary tells a story of resurrection. Paul tells a story of transformation. What's your story? In closing, some of you are great at telling your story. I've heard your stories. I love hearing your stories. Keep telling your stories. And even now, we're just going to have a moment of silence um, before we close. If you need reminded, if you need encouraged, we have people that are going to pray over here with you if you want to pray at the cross, but just where we're seated.
I want God to bring someone to mind that needs to hear your story. Some of you have put your faith in Jesus. You've been doing your best to be discipled and to walk in that. But at some point you took the pen back and started telling a story of success instead of salvation. Maybe you started telling a story of worry and anxiety instead of peace. Maybe your story over time and the world has thrown things at you has become a story of defeat instead of victory. And he wants to take the pen back today. And he wants to remind you of your story that you were once blind and now you see. That you were once stuck in the miry clay and he pulled you out and set your feet upon a rock. And I would imagine in a place this size, there are some of you that have come into this place and Christ has never changed your story. You don't know he's been writing your history, but let me tell you that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And your story starts today. So we're just going to bow our heads. And take some time. Let the Spirit speak to us. Father, forgive us for the excuses we make when you've given us a great story to tell. Forgive us for taking the pen and starting to write our own story. I thank you that your word promises that you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but of boldness and power. So as we leave this place today, as we celebrate with families, remind us of our story. Remind us of the power that is available to us as we tell it. And not to us, O oh Lord, not for our own glory, but that people would be pointed to the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ, that lives would be changed not only in this place, but in this community and around the world because of what you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us? I pray that as we leave this place today, that God will remind you that you have a story to tell. And you may not have it all figured out yet, but if we continue to walk in obedience,
He will send the people to us that need to hear our story. And moms, tell your story. For generation and generation, tell your story. Happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed.